In the flurry of the recent election campaign, the new revised National Australian Curriculum was approved by the former government. It's been the subject of intense battles in relation to what is taught, how we teach spelling when key maths concepts are introduced, how our history is discussed, for instance. But primarily, the terms of reference for a new curriculum were to reduce the amount of content, the common ground being that all involved in education thought the previous curriculum was, quote, a mile wide and an inch deep. Well, my next guest argues that we now have a more teachable curriculum that focuses on conceptual understanding. What does it look like? What does it mean for teachers, students and those closely watched test results? What does it mean for Australia? David Di Cavaglio is CEO of the Australian Curriculum Assessment Reporting Authority, known as ACARA. Welcome to the program, David. Thank you very much, Geraldine. Thank you for having me. Can you give us some of the backstory, please? This curriculum replaces the first ever one, that's right, isn't it, which was developed about a decade ago? Yes, that's right. Uh, so the Australian curriculum was, as you say, first introduced around uh, 2012. It was implemented over a couple of years. But then shortly afterwards, it underwent its first review in 2014. That was an independent review. Uh, and subsequently, all education ministers decided that ACARA, who is the body responsible for developing the curriculum, uh, should review the curriculum every six years. So in 2020, uh, the education ministers as a collective uh, commissioned us to undertake a review. And that is an important aspect which people sometimes overlook, that we are accountable to all Australian education ministers. And the Commonwealth minister is just one of those. And so when uh, the Commonwealth Minister was one of nine ministers in April that approved the uh, the revised Australian curriculum. Uh, and we do go through a pretty exhaustive consultative process with all the jurisdictional curriculum authorities and um, uh, our colleagues in states and territories, uh, as well as uh, many more people in terms of subject associations, academics and uh, a public consultation process, which we went through last year. And that was the first time the whole Australian curriculum had ever been put out for public consultation. Uh, Sounds and, exhausting. Uh, it was exhausting, yes. <laughs> was it exhilarating as well, though? And what I'm trying to get at is how engaged were people? Well, uh, people were very engaged. Uh, and as I said, because of the first time we'd put the draft consultation document out for, for, for public viewing, um, we were uh, very encouraged by the, the response. Now, some people would have thought that we were dismayed by some of the controversy that was caused, uh, but we fully expected um, that, you, that, that some controversy would ensue. You can't put out... Uh, a document, uh, uh, a national curriculum, uh, and um, expect that there won't be any attention to it or any controversy given. Um, so uh, if we had put it out and there'd been no reaction, that would have been very disappointing. Um, so it was, um, uh, you know, a really interesting and, and uh, sometimes difficult and stressful time as we tried to uh, get compromise and consensus uh, and listen to the experts 
but we got there in the end and ministers uh, were very happy to approve the version that we put to them in April. And even though it's a national curriculum, is there still some flexibility for states to adjust it? Yes, there is. Um, The national curriculum is not uh, a detailed syllabus such as the one that exists in New South Wales. New South Wales have had their own very detailed syllabuses since the early 1990s uh, and Victoria weren't far behind them. Uh, But the uh, smaller jurisdictions were certainly very grateful for the collaborative effort that um, resulted in a national curriculum, which now allows us, if you like, to have a common core of understanding that all Australian children can access, no matter where they are in the country. And we think that's a really important aspect of the national curriculum, that it is something that all Australian children uh, can have in common, which but, is but important they can, for but in, building. But, but they can yes, fiddle but they can, with it. You're right. right. They can fiddle with it, if that's the word you use. Yes, adopt and adapt is the terminology that uh, is common, uh, that uh, territories will adopt it, but adapt it to their own circumstances. Yes. Now let's go through some of the changes and look at, say, mm. the, the quote decluttering of the material. Mm. I think you yes. like to say it's been given the Marie Kondo treatment. Yes, uh, that's right. So decluttering uh, has two aspects uh, to it. Uh, firstly, uh, there is the uh, just the cutting back of content. Uh, but then, uh, as you refer to the Marie Kondo treatment, there's a tidying up of what's left um, uh, to ensure that it's more coherent, that there are better connections, that teachers can find what they want more easily. Uh, this is all part of making it a more teachable uh, curriculum. At the end of the day, the curriculum is a professional tool for professional teachers, so it has to suit their needs. And the decluttering was a really important part of that. Uh, In your introduction, you said um, the the analogy of a uh, teacher's skating across a... Mile wide and inch deep. Mile wide and inch deep, Mm. exactly. Uh, And they felt under enormous pressure to cover content, to get through the content and move on to the next thing. But often that means that they could leave um, children behind before they've really grasped the key concepts. And so the idea of the decluttering was to give teachers more time to teach in greater depth so that uh, children can move on uh, into the next topic once they've fully understood uh, the topic that they've just been taught. So we've reduced the um, the total number of what we call content descriptions um, by about 21%. But Gee, that doesn't just mean removing. It is a lot, yes. Uh, but in the meantime, we've also included some new material, uh, material that wasn't there before as part of the updating. Um, so, for example, um, there is uh, a, a new uh, topic, uh, extensive topic in New Seven History that looks at um, First Nations um, histories and cultures pre-settlement. We're calling that Deep Time History of Australia. So that's a new uh, mm. mandatory strand, uh, which people really welcomed. Um, so in the in the process of decluttering, um, so- we've also tidied up. Uh, what have you now? What have you chopped out, say, in order to accommodate that? What have you had to trim? Yeah, so in, in his like so, in history, if we say apple with apple, yeah. yeah, what have you had to trim? Yeah, yeah. So, so one of the things that we did in history was, in, if we look at um, uh, year seven to ten, so you've got four year levels. In the current Australian curriculum, there are three mandated topics in every year, so twelve altogether, right? So. What the new curriculum does is reduce that to two mandated topics. So 
you can still teach three if you'd like to, but you're only required as a teacher, as a school, to teach two. Uh, so in order to uh, give more time to a particular topic, you don't feel that you have to rush through it and get on to uh, get on to the next one. So that change has been quite important to reduce the number of mandated history topics from 12 to 8 over the course of the, of the four years. And can you bring it down to a specific, like so that people can understand what's been... Because, I mean, this is exactly where curriculum discussions get so fierce, yeah, what's left yes. out and what's left in. Like, is World War One yes. out and World War Two in no, or the no, other way well, around? No, or what? no, no. So, for example, uh, in, in Year 9, World War One. Uh, is is mandated uh, in year uh, ten. World War Two is mandated. Um, so those things are there, uh, and you might recall that there was quite a bit of discussion in the public consultation period about the way. Uh, the the notion of uh, Anzac Day was treated. So Anzac Day is still there. Uh, 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 it's, it hasn't been removed. Um, so uh, there are these aspects of the curriculum which teachers have choices about. So they've got to judge their, their class sitting in front of them and, and, and you say they'll be given, in effect, permission to do that. They've got to, they, they assess the levels of, their, uh, of the children, n- not the officials' decisions about the children. Uh, no, that's right. So there is there is a, a degree of mandation, if I if I could put it that mm. way, and degree of flexibility that uh, teachers in the history classroom, particularly in Year Seven to Ten, can make uh, outside the mandated units. Look, can, can um, I, so, I'm I'm, I'm yeah. going to cut across because there are two areas I, I really want to get to. History sure. and civics have been back, battlegrounds, and last yeah. week the Federal Education Minister Jason Clare said he, he wants to draw a line under this debate, while the mm. new leader of the Liberal Party, Peter Dutton, said that prosecutors a, quotes values argument over the new national curriculum would be one of the main areas of focus for the party over the next three years. And he criticised, quotes, extremism among some educators. So are you ready for more of that? Well, um, we will deal with whatever the political environment uh, um, uh, throws up. Um, it is uh, important, of course, to recognise, as I said at the start and as, as you said, um, that uh, it was all Australian ministers who signed off on the Australian curriculum on the 1st of April, and that included the then acting uh, minister at the Commonwealth level, um, who was a member of the former government, uh, uh, as well as... Uh, other coalition ministers in in jurisdictions. So as far as those ministers were concerned, including on both uh, political sides, um, the curriculum that we now have approved um, well, it did uh, have meets, the tick of approval. The needs has mm. the tick of approval, correct? Now, it, there's another very important area of this um, notion of problem-based learning, which is what I think mm. educators call it, and it, it it is a different approach, as I understand it, in teaching. Um, can you under, Can you explain for listeners what's informing the overall approach to the new curriculum, uh, and why this business of applied knowledge seems to be coming through? through as quite important, though there is a debate, again, about that. Yes. Uh, so particularly mathematics was the, the venue, I guess, for, for the debates around this. Um, what we're trying to do in the Australian curriculum is set out what should be taught. Uh, and we have to be careful about um, being too um, specific, if you like, about the way teachers teach that material. And there is a uh, an ongoing debate. Some of it is a, a little um, 
over-engineered in terms of a false dichotomy uh, between uh, explicit teaching on the one hand, which is very important, particularly in the early years, uh, and what you're referring to is inquiry-based learning or problem-based learning. Um, these different pedagogical approaches uh, are actually uh, choices that teachers face depending on where their students are up to. Uh, but uh, what uh, people are getting at and when they're talking about inquiry-based learning as opposed to, say, explicit teaching is uh, instead of explicit teaching where the teacher will come in and show the students what they need to do to solve a problem and then ask the students to, to do uh, solve that problem with the clear guidance of the teacher, um, what the inquiry-based approach does, and I'm summarising crudely here, is it say, well, look, um, students, here's a problem, have a crack at solving it, and then we'll come back and, and reflect on how you went. Um, so it's a kind of a coming at the same issue from a different angle. But it's devolving and, the responsibility to the student earlier in yeah, the process. Yeah, earlier on. So again, it, this is um, sometimes that's appropriate and sometimes it's less appropriate. Um, uh, but it does, uh, it's an important part of the uh, pedagogical toolkit, the, the teaching toolkit that teachers have to have in their, at their disposal. Um, but we have to be careful in, in constructing the Australian curriculum that we're not uh, privileging one over the other. These are decisions that teachers have to make. Now, it becomes particularly important when we look at the PISA results. Mm. So... PISA is a, a test that is administered every three years by the OECD, and Australia's results have been going down consistently since it started in, in 2020, uh, particularly in, in maths. Um, and, and reading it was reading, too, wasn't it? And, and re Well, all three of them, reading, science and maths. But if we zero in on maths, for example, um, one of the things that PISA specifically tests is the ability to transfer your knowledge from one particular real-life context to another. So okay. this is what they talk about in terms of real-world problem-solving. David, we are, we yeah. are. I hate to say it, we're running out of yep. time. <laughs> right. <laughs> because okay. it's such a, it's it's a grossly overlooked area, I think, this whole business mm. of curriculum preparation. It is. Um, it is. So look, we, we might try to return to it. And if listeners want us sure. to do it enough, they can tell us how they would like us to. Look, thank you very much indeed. Indeed, and um, I think you've really alerted us to something that uh, could well develop as a further debate. Thanks very much for having me, Geraldine. Okay, David DiCavaglio is CEO of ACARA, um, and uh, I think that is something that won't go away totally quickly. Very important. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.